Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. Thank you so much for being here. I have a very special episode in store for you. I have L.A. Marzoli coming on as a guest here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Everybody knows somebody with a strange supernatural encounter. Personally, I believe the veil is thinning, and in the days we're living in, we're going to see more and more supernatural things come to pass. Dreams, visions, eyewitness encounters, lights in the skies. I mean, the list goes on and on. But there's nobody better, in my opinion, to have here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast than Mr. Marzulli himself. Let's jump right into this episode. So, my son Adam Jack said he had to be a part of this show. <laughs> Adam, are you ready for the show? <laughs> I have L.A. Marzulli here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. We got some ground to cover. When I accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior in 2014, I was going to church in Norristown, and I had a lot of questions, and the pastor gracefully answered as much as he could, and he said, listen, I want you to check out Dr. Chuck Missler. And after getting about a 10-DVD set and spending the next couple months of my life studying and reading and, and asking questions, and eventually I found L.A. Marzulli. Now, I'm a huge fan of L.A.'s work. He's penned 12 different books, produced 10 different movies at this point. In 2014, he got a, a medallion award from... Dr. Chuck Missler, he passed away May 1st of 2018. Rod, uh, you know, I'm, I miss Chuck too. And I cut my teeth like you probably did on 6640, his daily Bible show. And uh, I would just stop what I was doing, run to my truck, flip it on. I was in construction then. I had a cabinet shop and sit there and listen to it from 4 to 4.30 and then go back to work for another hour in my shop and uh, head home. But uh, Chuck, you know, Chuck was a mentor, no doubt about it. And he impacted my life and many others. So good guy. Miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. He always had me on the edge of my seat. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> LA, I do want to ask you, what led you down the path, the unique path that you've been on? Well, that's a really good question. I would say the first thing that really hit me um, was the death of my grandfather. Uh, we didn't have any pets, so I hadn't experienced death at all. Uh, and I was about seven years old when he passed away. And that impacted me uh, greatly. In fact, my mother would not allow us to go to the funeral. That's another three-hour conversation, which was a big mistake. We should have gone because kids need to understand what's going on. Otherwise, they, there's no way for them to process it. And I didn't, you know, because I couldn't go to the funeral, I had no way of processing that. There was no release point for me. But that that triggered something. And I think the next, the one that really did it was when I was 18 and my girlfriend was 16 and she was killed in a hit and run automobile accident. And that was life changing. I mean, that was absolutely life changing. And that put me on the quest, you know, what are we doing here? What is this all about? Up till that time, I had been reading all sorts of books anyway and been heavily involved in looking into Eastern mysticism and all of that. But when, when Michelle was killed in the automobile accident, that, that's, you know, that, that was a whole 
that was a whole different deal. And that really put me on the quest, which led me eventually to Guru Maharaji, where I received knowledge and joined the ashram and all the stubborn nonsense. I actually write about this in some of my books because, you know, it's a, it's a false it's a false system. Yeah, there's stuff there. You can experience something, but it never deals with the, the, the crux of the matter, which is a, a human being's depravity, our sin nature. I prefer to call it the dragon code rather than the sin nature. I mean, sin nature is what it, you know, people go that, well, what does that mean? Well, what it really is, it's we're grafted in with the dragon code. That's what the sin nature is. The sin nature is the dragon code. It's from the evil one. It's from Satan. And that's why we have all the nonsense that happens on this planet. Uh, we're all imbued with the dragon code. And when we become born again, a spirit filled, our DNA begins to change and we have less and less of that dragon code in us and more, we become more Christ-like. That's a lifelong process. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I turned 70 this year and in some ways, <clears throat> I feel like a babe in the woods. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I have this saying among my friends and close family, I say, Lord, do what it is that only you can do. You know, with his ways being so much greater than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. It's amazing to see how he webs together all of these journeys in our lives and brings about good out of some dark situations. Now, L.A., I want to ask you, is there a connection between ancient sites, megalithic structures that are seen all around the world? Yeah. Uh, you know, at, undoubtedly, I mean, we actually proved that uh, in in episode five okay. of the Trail of the Nephilim series, the Axis Moon, the America Stonehenge Part Two. That's a mouthful, but for, you know, I, I'm going way too fast. People, what is he talking about? Axis Moon, the America, America Stonehenge is a site, megalithic site. We believe it's four thousand years. It's in Salem, New Hampshire. I've been there about three or four or five times, something like that. And we spent spent about two weeks there filming, and. Uh, Dennis Stone really shared with us some incredible information. Uh, America Stonehenge is, we call it the Axis Mundi, the center of the world, because that site, as I mentioned, is a 4,000-year-old site. Well, okay, so who cares? Well, listen to this. Kelsey Stone was a college student, about 23 years old, and he had grown up on that site, America Stonehenge. Um, it's uh, a site that's encircled with megalithic standing stones, and for the, you know, for the observer that, well, what's, what's that stone doing there? Well, I don't know. It's just it's some kind of marker. They actually are precisely aligned to the solstices, the equinoxes, the lunar events, all sorts of stuff. And there are, there are more than just the four cardinal, you know, winter solstice, summer solstice, and, and then the equinoxes. It's the rising of the equinox sun, the setting of the summer uh, Solstice Sun, all that is embedded in that site. So Kelsey Stone has been grew up with this. So he goes on his he goes on Google Earth one day and he goes, "Gee, I wonder what happens if I draw a line on Google Earth from the center of of our site out to the summer solstice standing stone. I wonder where it goes, if anywhere." And the reason why he did this is because he wanted to see if it went over his house, his old house that he had lived in. He was just a curious kid. So he extends the line and uh, he extends it further. He's just goofing around on Google Earth. And he's, you know, in, in the Bay of Fundy and, and out uh, towards Newfoundland and across the Atlantic and through Ireland. And he finds himself in southern England. And he realizes, wow, I'm kind of near Stonehenge, England. 
I wonder if the line passes like, you know, 50 miles away or something. That'd be pretty cool. So we start zoning in with the line and enlarging the map. As any, anybody who's gone on Google Earth know what this looks like. And he, and he gets to, and the line actually intersects Stonehenge, England directly. It hits the center trilathon or trilathon or whatever you want to pronounce it, dead center. There are two uh, trilathons which are sort of at right angles to each other. The line bisects both of them dead center. And when he saw that, he couldn't believe it, so he did it again. And then he showed his father, Dennis, and Dennis says on the film that the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He realized that something was going on here. This site was overgrown. No one knew about the standing stones until Dennis's father, Robert Stone, uh, actually began to you know, found a, a couple of the standing stones and figured out, my gosh, it, these coordinate, these point to the equinoxes, solstices, lunar rises, the whole deal. And so this is, you know, I knew about this and Kelsey Stone let me use this information in volume one of Amitrail of the Nephilim. But we had no idea of just how incredible the site was. When we went back and filmed, I was with our good friend, Fritz Zimmerman, friend of Amitrail of the Nephilim. Fritz been in many of the, uh, of the, of the series and is a, just a, a great friend, and we really enjoy going to a lot of different sites with him. But so we were in the, what we call the war room with Dennis, and Dennis dropped the bomb on us. What I mean by that, he had not shared this information with other production companies, for instance, Travel Channel, History Channel. He just didn't do it for whatever reason, but he shared it with us. And I don't know why, but he shared it with us, and it was a great honor. And what he showed us was that there were other points of correlation once they knew about the summer solstice sunrise, they began to go on Google Earth and find these other standing stones around the site to see where they would connect to. What they discovered was a connectivity between, remember, this is not arbitrary. In order to do this thousands of years ago, you've got to be in the air. You've got to be able to triangulate. You have to figure the curvature of the Earth. I know flat Earth is are rolling around now. Oh my gosh, the Earth is flat. No, the Earth is a curve, which makes it even more incredible that they were able to do this. So when you go out to one of the standing stones from the center, you wind up in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. When you go to another standing stone, you wind up in Teotihuacan, precisely at the Pyramid of the Moon in Mexico. When you go to yet another standing stone, wow. you wind up in Machu Picchu, Peru. Uh, a fourth standing stone lets you go to the Canary Islands. There are step pyramids in the Canary Island, which are thousands of years old. And of course, number five would be Stonehenge, England. It's global. Well, Dennis shared something with me fairly recently that they went out to the August, I think, moonrise, and that coordinates and actually splits the center pyramid, the Pyramid of Khufu, on the Giza Plateau, the Great Pyramid. So this is the Axis Monday. There's no doubt about it. These sites, there was a connection between all of them. The question is, uh, and this is why these are the fingerprints of the supernatural. I mean, anybody who looks at that has to go, well, I don't know how they did that, but they did that. So they must have been able to do that. Not so fast, innocent. Most people who say that do not hold to <laughs> a supernatural worldview. And so that's that's problematic because they just say, well, they, they did it, so they had to. Well, that doesn't work. How did they do it? You don't know. If you're intellectually honest, you'll say that you don't know. The bottom line is the only way to do it in modernity is to triangulate in the air. I've talked to surveyors. They look at that and they kind of go, oh, boy. 
you know, what are we, what are we looking at here? Because it, it's absolutely profound. So America Stonehenge to English Stonehenge, that's profound in itself. But then Chaco Canyon, Teotihuacan, Machu Picchu, the Canary Islands, and then the Great Pyramid of Giza. There was a connectivity. These sites are thousands of years old. I believe that the dragon used these to go from one point of area to another area. And that's what's interesting is all these sites were abandoned, if you'll notice. All these sites were abandoned. Machu Picchu, when the English explorer, quote unquote, discovered it, the Inca knew about it. And, and one of the guides told him about it. I forget the guy's name. And up they went. And he was basically the first European to see Machu Picchu. But, you know, the Inca knew about it, and it was abandoned when he got there. Uh, same thing with uh, America Stonehenge, abandoned. Same thing with Chaco Canyon, abandoned. Teotihuacan, abandoned. Machu Picchu, abandoned. Canary Island pyramids, step pyramids that look very similar to the pyramids that are north of Lima in a place called Corral. In fact, if I were to take you to uh, the Canary Islands and show you those pyramids and blindfold you and say, where are you? And you knew about the pyramids in Corral, you would kind of go, wow, there's, de there's a definite similarity. They are step pyramids that are made of head-sized stone. So it's not megalithic, but it's all connected. It is absolutely all connected. So that's kind of a long answer, but uh, I hope that whets the appetite of your listeners. Now, a little bit about the Serpent Mounds in Ohio. So we actually ordered your DVDs, the first five of On the Trail to the Nephilim. We do a men's group once a month, we have a couple guys come over and we watch these DVDs and it's, you know, sparked some research and questions that have just been a game changer for a lot of us. The Serpent Mounds in Ohio. Now, I'm right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's not too far from me. Rodney, where outside of Philly are you? I am right in between Reading and Philadelphia. So okay. it's, if you know Monopoly, yeah. the Reading Railroad. Yeah, sure. Supposedly absolutely. where the Liberty Bell had cracked along the way. Yeah, yeah I, I grew up in a famous Philadelphia farmhouse um, in Montgomery County, PA. So uh -huh. Peter Rothamel painted the Battle of Gettysburg in the house I grew up in. It's the imagery wow. where the guy has the musket and he ran out of ammo, so he's going to hit. So there's four pages in Montgomery County Historical Society, which at the time that this was done, it was Philadelphia County. Um, but Peter Rothamel painted that depiction of Gettysburg in the house I grew up in. So I've always been like big history guy, like, you know, learning about that when I was young, it, it always kind of sent me in the direction where I was enamored with history in general. Then when I got a hold of the Bible and, and like we discussed in the beginning, I learned about Chuck Missler. It was all, it was all uphill from there. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I grew up right outside of Valley yeah. Forge, three miles from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. That's awesome. I didn't know you were from around here. Well, world, wow. The Serpent Mound is, I believe, one of the largest, if not the largest, serpent effigy. Uh, it's certainly the largest dirt effigy uh, on the planet. No doubt about that. When you actually go there to the Serpent Mound, I've been there three different times, and we film, you'll see signage that, that will state that the Shawnee built the Serpent Mound. But as we, we talk to Chief Joseph, who quotes Chief Wallace of the Shawnee, the Shawnee emphatically state that they did not build the Serpent Mound. It was there when they got there. So Houston, we have a problem. Um, at the Serpent Mound, I wrote a paper on this. Uh, it's a new paradigm with the Serpent Mound. Everybody, a lot of New Agers are going, oh, the Serpent Mound, it's, it's the snake connotes wisdom, and it's in the act of birthing this egg, which is wisdom to mankind. 
uh, not so fast citizen. That's not what it is. It hails back to Genesis 3.15, which is the seed of the dragon, the seed of the serpent, literally. The seed of the serpent, the offspring of a serpent, will be at enmity at war with the offspring, the seed of the woman. He, the one from the woman, the coming one, the Messiah, will crush the serpent's head. The serpent will bruise his heel. That serpent effigy is Genesis 3.15 screaming at you. That serpent is in the act of attempting to devour the egg, destroy the egg. And you can only see it from the air. In fact, they built like a two and a half story tower that you can climb up and you can kind of see it, but not really. When you, you we flew our drone up, you know, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand feet, whatever above the thing. Wow. Then it comes to life. Then you can see this undulating serpent. Oh, and by the way, the serpent mound is built on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. The serpent mound, the undulations in the serpent point to uh, different the solstices, the equinoxes, the lunar rises, the whole deal. It's all there. It's all there. Shawnee did not know that. The Shawnee did not know that we were on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. End of story. End of story. So if they didn't know Absolutely. that, if they didn't know that, then how the heck could they build it? And you can only understand what you're looking at from above the earth. This is in your face, Genesis 3.15. It is, it is sat there until, really until my paper. And I mean that with all due respect to other researchers. This is Genesis 3.15. See, the problem is all these archaeologists and anthropologists, they never hold to a biblical worldview. And so when they look at this stuff, they never they never come up to an answer. And the same thing with New Agers. Oh, it's a serpent which denotes wisdom, which, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's your opinion and you're stuck with it. But that's not the true interpretation of it, in my opinion. The moment we plug the biblical narrative, it screams Genesis 3.15, screams it. And there it is. And, it, you know, and these, these sites are are uh, connected to other sites. When we were there on the vernal equinox, the spring equinox, there was a coven of witches. Gee, I wonder why. They know what's there. Uh, we show in our third film, uh, Voices, uh, Secrets of a Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side. And thanks to Steve Quayle, who gave us the audio of an interview he did with Henry Gruber. And Gruber was doing all these, going all these mounds and, and rededicating them and repenting of the bloodshed and the sacrifice and all this stuff. Well, on the way home for Thanksgiving, he sees this sign, you know, Serpent Mound. So he does a detour and he figures, well, I'll just take care of this. So he goes there and he goes up to the head of a serpent. There's nobody there. It's snowing. He's got a light jacket on. It's snowing lightly. So by the time he's done, it's snowing a lot harder. He's getting cold and he starts to walk off back to his van in the parking lot. He's the only van that's there. There's nobody else there. It's it's Thanksgiving, okay? So all of a sudden, he's, he's hit with something incredibly visceral uh, right in his solar plexus. Down he goes. He can't move. His knees are brought up to his chest. He's writhing in the snow. He's doing everything he can, can do to get out of it, praying, rebuking, spiritual warfare. He can't get out of it. Finally, the Lord begins to speak to him. We show all this in the film and, and the CGI, excuse me, the CGI was done by Wesley Sangiorgi, who did a wonderful job bringing it all to life because all we have was, was Henry's audio. So we use Henry's audio and then uh, Wesley brings, brings the story to life and it's incredible. So he cries out to the Lord and the Lord says, you know, Henry, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to release you from this, but you know, I didn't, I didn't call you here. I didn't tell you to come here. You came on your own. And it was a huge lesson 
Huge lesson for Henry, you know, the sin of presumption, uh, where we think that, oh, the Lord wants me to do something, not so fast. Uh, I'll just give you a follow-up on that. Over the weekend, I watched a video, and it was really a good video. And this guy it's making the rounds, this Kevin Zadai guy, and, you know, he was in, in allegedly up in heaven with, with the Father and Jesus for five hours. I don't, you know, it's that, I find that incredible, but, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, the proof text of that would be Isaiah. Uh, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. How long was Isaiah there, right? Enoch walked with God. So God does stuff like this, and for every reason he picked Kevin, and, you know, Kevin has been telling everybody about that. So I watched it, and I said, you know, Lord, what do I do with this? And you know what the Lord told me? The Lord said, rest in me, and I will direct your steps. That's all he said. Rest in me, I will direct Amen. your steps. In other words, don't go running off after this. Just rest in me, and I will direct your steps. And you know what I found? I, I turned 70 this year. I've been walking with him for 40 years. And in some ways... I'm like a babe in the woods. I'm like a newborn. I'm just just waking into my destiny, you know, because he knows who we are before we know who we are. You know, it's like, <laughs> how's that for a real mind? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Does, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I got that and I went down and told Peggy, my wife, and I said, you know, Lord just told me, just, just rest in him and he will direct our steps. So if he wants me to, you know, get into this, whatever, um, I will do that. In the meantime, you know, we have our daily show that we do on, on YouTube, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural Report. And that's our daily show. And uh, we're really proud of it. Our My new son-in-law, John Adam Hicks, is, does all the editing on it. So it keeps me doing other things. So I'm not bogged down with that. So it's uh, it's been great. We actually had Derek Gilbert on from Skywatch this morning and uh, talking about the Nephilim Again conference, which is next week. Shameless plug. It's next week. It's a virtual conference, NephilimAgain.com, NephilimAgain.com. Russ Dizdar, Derek Gilbert, Chief Joseph Riverwind, Drew Graffia, my sit-down, one-on-one with Gary Stearman, all things Nephilim. Everything that we're talking about today, uh, Rob, that's, what, that's what's in this virtual conference, NephilimAgain.com. It's virtual for $89. You can watch the live streaming up to 30 days, and you also get all the DVDs. I know everything that I've watched so far from you has been phenomenal. We also ordered the higher entities, the lost tapes. And I know Derek Gilbert's in the first, uh, I'd say, 10 minutes of that. He he has some responses that uh, the Collins elite, I believe, he talks about. Yeah. And that that's some interesting stuff. That I mean, I'm not well versed in all of that. It's just something that uh, I'm kind of have been introduced to recently through the higher entities. But uh, one of my favorite stories that you have um, is about the Kandahar giant. <laughs> and L.A., let me tell you, that that was a game changer for me when I heard that, because my wife is from Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. And she does most of the introductions on my podcast here. She's from the Philippines. She's been here in the, the States for about eight years now. But she had an encounter when she was younger with a very large bipedal, what she considers to be pale-skinned, male out in the foothills of the, of the Philippines. They lived out in the Providence. Um, her mom worked abroad to America. She was separated from her mom until she was from like seven till she was 20 years old. Wow. 
and her mom worked over here and that's how she got her here to America. And, and we met, fell in love and had my son about four years ago now, but she has a story and she, I begged her. I said, honey, please come on the podcast and tell people. And she doesn't want to, uh, hopefully she doesn't get too mad at me for bringing that up, but she had an experience, you know, over there where they live, this stuff is, it's as real, you know, Hollywood entertains us with a half truth here and everybody's like, oh, do, 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 you know, and they don't consider it. But in, in other places around the world, a lot of times people take this stuff serious. They read their Bible. They believe in their Bible. The Philippines is the only Christian nation in the Far East, you know, and people there have experiences. You know, their their local lore and legend is, is very real to them. My mother-in-law, she lives right outside of Manhattan, L.A. She won't go outside after dark. When she comes over here to Pennsylvania, she does not go outside after dark. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just tell you what your wife talks about. We had a gentleman who came on the record anonymously. And, you know, he was he knew the president of the Philippines. And so this guy set him up with to go out to this island look, looking for oil. Well, the guy that was was his guy was a headhunter, wow. and you know they, they were headhunters. They were cannibals on 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 certain islands of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know this, right? This guy's talks to this gentleman and relating a story that, and this goes back probably now 60, 70 years when this was happening, very remote island. But these giants would live way up in the highland, and the village people, not the band, but the people of the village. Would the young braves, the young men, would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12-footers to come walking down the path, and they would jump on them and kill them, drag them back to the village, and the village would feast on the body for like two weeks. Now, what your, what your wife saw was real. There's no doubt about it. They're all over that area. They're also over Afghanistan. Was there a migration from the Levant uh, out this way? Across the Pacific, more than likely, yes. There was also, I believe, another incursion or migration to the United States. They came in from both directions. The Lovelock Caves, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, like, my I've wife, been I've been to the Lovelock. Doesn't Caves. have you? My dad's out in Nevada. How far is that from Pahrump? Uh, let me see. We flew in. I'm trying. Yeah. to it's. I believe it's it's in the northern part. Yeah, it's it's up north. It's closer to Reno, and we went there because I forget the gentleman's name. Boy, I'm, and I'm sorry, but Ron Moorhead, my friend, if he's listening or he gets this, Ron, Ron Moorhead was there. Joe Taylor was there uh, because this gentleman uh, had discovered this huge, giant black hand on one of the rocks on the side of the cave that no one had ever seen because you know it was just there forever. So um, they they foolishly put it on Facebook. When I got there, basically a month later, someone, you can guess who, had erased it completely. There was no sign, no trace, no sign of the black hand. They have photographs of it. It was huge. For those of your listeners who don't know, uh, Sarah Winnemucca uh, wrote about this. And, you know, she's a native Paiute First Nation people. Her tribe is the Paiute. And the Paiute... Uh, warred against these red-haired, six-fingered giants who were cannibalistic. And we know from newspaper reports, allegedly, that apparently there was either a 10 or a 12-footer pulled up out of a dry lake bed at the turn of the century. Uh, The skulls you could actually see, I actually photographed, I didn't photograph them, but a friend of mine, uh, Aaron Judkins, did. And he let me use the photographs for my Amitrail of a Nephilim book, which were taken from 
the Sarah Winnemucca Cave, Lovelock Cave that were in the museum. You can no longer see those, but we we show them in the book because we had access to them. Now, L.A., with all this information that we covered on this episode and all the other work that the Lord's led you to do over the years, and the day that we're living in as a watchman in the body of Christ, what do you feel that the church needs to hear as a whole? What's your advice for the days ahead? Well, what I think about what's uh, my advice would be that, first of all, if you think you know Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. So the first thing a person needs to do is understand who and what he is. He was the son of God. It, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And when a person confesses their sins and believes in him who was sent, which, of course, is Jesus, Yeshua, then they're grafted in. I mean, that's the deal. You believe on him who was sent. You confess your sins and believe that Jesus died for those sins because we all do it. We all we all have the dragon code, as I said in the beginning, in us, and we all do things that hail from the dragon code, which, you know, some of them can be extremely bad. Uh, so when we do that, we're saved, we're born again, and we become spirit-filled by the spirit of the living God. That happened to me 40 years ago. My life has never been the same, uh, and it's I'm just, I marvel every day at what, what the Lord has done and what the Lord can do and what the Lord will do. So the bottom line is we are in tenuous, tumultuous times. I believe that the COVID virus, although real, and I said this in March, scandemic, and now we know that the CDC released the actual death toll only from COVID, not from pre-existing conditions with COVID, like if you have asthma, type 1 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, yes. all those things. Yeah, the numbers go up. But those people who died from COVID alone mm -hmm. are under 10,000 people. So scandemic anybody? Uh, the efficacy of masks is nonsensical. Meanwhile, Antifa, the, the, who are the real fascists, by the way, and the BLM movement, which is, is mm -hmm. basically are nothing more than cultural Marxists, and they've said so. They are both engaged in occult activity. BLM is, is engaged in cultural Marxism, rooted and grounded in cultural Marxism, but they're engaging in necromancy, mm -hmm. uh, in occult activity. Um, same thing with the Antifa movement. Uh, they're setting fires out on the west on the west coast. This is an insurgency. It's an attempt to overthrow our country. Pastors need to wake up, quit playing church, have the the front pew uh, turned to the pew behind them. So that's maybe twenty or thirty people. That's your small group right now. Pray, pray against this. Then the row number three turns to row number four and does the same thing. That's how you pray in church. So not only one person is leading it, one person wow. can see it, but the church is actively engaged in prayer. And that's what we need to do. We need to focus and target this stuff and really begin corporately to rise up against it and basically say no more. You're not coming to my city and doing this. And this is problematic because, you know, all it takes is one hothead and you got a civil war, and we're really close to it now anyway. That's what they want. They want chaos. They want a civil war. Uh, their motto, the new, new World Order, is out of chaos order, and they're bringing it about. So, you know, the problem with the, the Antifa people, the cultural Marxists, uh, BLM, uh, using necromancy, witchcraft, what have you, this is – we're not in Kansas anymore. The church needs to rise up and say no more. Our weapon is not carnal. Our weapon is supernatural, spiritual. We need to fast and pray. 
and come together as a body and and stand up for your city, stand up for your town. If your goofy Democratic mayor or governor is is putting draconian uh, lockdowns on your church, do what they did out in California, right? They stood up against them because it's unconstitutional. They can't they can't mandate that stuff. Why is it that we can go into Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Harbor Freight, Vons, Acme, whatever, and do all this stuff, but we can't vote in a voting poll? Are you kidding me? You know that that's just it's it's so nonsensical. Yeah. I can go to Home Depot. I could go to my poll. Yes. And Thank you very much. End of story. So people need to stand up and demand that this happen. Those are just some thoughts I could go on, you know, for another hour on this subject because it's uh, it's very intense. And I got to tell you, folks, if you call yourself a Christian and you're going to vote for Biden, here's what you're voting for. And right off the bat, how can you call yourself a Christian if you believe in part abortion of any kind or if you're if you're giving a thumbs up? to uh, infanticide, which Governor Cuomo in New York signed him a law. That's the Democratic Party. Abortion on demand, uh, the coming of infanticide, the, the ridiculous sexualization of children, which is what we're seeing now with this goofy Netflix thing. Boycott Netflix, folks. Open borders, uh, the legalization of 22 million illegal aliens, which is a real slap on the face of the people who came here legally. Uh, and as, as Bill, Bill O'Reilly used to say on his show, that uh, Mexico and other Latin American countries are exporting their poverty. It's exactly what they're doing because these people who come here can't do anything down there. They're uneducated for the most part, not all of them, but for many of them are, they have no skills and they're uneducated. So they come here because they got no other place to go. If I were down there, I'd come up here too, but we can't have, we can't feed the entire planet. We can't have the entire world coming here. People need to come legally. And for a lot of people that will never happen. That's why they come here illegally. But that's a democratic platform, open borders, higher taxes, higher taxes. They will legislate you into oblivion. All one needs to do to see the uh, efficacy of, of state-run democratic control is look at California. They are billions of dollars in debt. Governor Grusom has no idea how to govern, and certainly not Mayor Garcetti, you know, who wants to uh, uh, fine you $500 for not wearing a mask on a beach. The guy's a lunatic, in my opinion, with all due respect. Those were some thoughts. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, L.A. You said everything that I feel and and talk about at my kitchen table and with my friends and family and people here in the neighborhood. I think we, we definitely have to be intrepid and bold. And Ephesians uh, 6 tells us, well, look, we got to take up this armor. You know, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we have to put on that helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, you know, the belt of truth and, and the sword that is the spirit, the word of the living God. You said everything that, that I think. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. Um, you know, the days we're living in are, are dark and, and they're cold. And like I say on the podcast, you know, coming from hostile territory in southeastern Pennsylvania, because they burnt, what, 40 cop cars in Philadelphia down? We're not okay with what's going on here. This is not okay. But as Christians turning the pews towards each other and praying, specifically and with a purpose and in spirit and in truth proceeding, you know, to the throne room of God boldly, you know, he says, come boldly to the throne room of grace. And in the days we're living in, I think that that's the most important thing to get out to the audience is the, you know, being an encourager and reminding people, you know, the good King is coming. He's going to crack the sky like a supernova and he's going to pull back the veil. <laughs> and that's when the real party starts. Yeah, I'd love to send you an email with some 
information on the house I grew up in, you might find some pretty cool stuff about that property. I mean, George Washington's men slept on the porch of the house. Wow. And like I said, Peter Rothmull painted that famous painting in the house I grew up in. And I, I'm blown away to know that you're from this area. All these years I've followed your work. I did not know you were from southeastern Pennsylvania. Valley mm-hmm. Forge. I mean, come on. I vacation there once a year and go walk around with the family. So, you know, when we're off the air, we'll talk a little bit about what your favorite cheesesteak is from the area also. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> well, L.A., any last words you want to say to the audience before we close out tonight? Just, uh, you know, understand the times that we're living in. It was prophesied. Don't let these days overtake you. Uh, the most important thing you can do if you're, you know, a non-believer uh, is, is come to him. Um, he's He's got the answers. He's got the key to your life. And those are not idle words. I really hope you enjoyed this show. Please share this with a friend. I'm also going to be playing a song, You Are Worthy, by a local artist who's a friend of mine, Brother Jared. You can find him on SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook. Coming to you from hostile territory in southeastern Pennsylvania. God bless America and good night. And you're worthy of my praises I pray to you every day just like David You took me from the streets But you brought me back to you You cleaned up my life because this is what you do People got the opinions But I'm sticking to the course This Kathy just passed and showed me life is truly short You are the reason why I gotta keep rapping I'm grateful for your love And no, I'm not acting You are the reason I'm grateful
song, I gotta give credit. Lord, you help me with my ATM, and that's a debit. I'm purchasing things now, I got a sneaker fetish. I like them pumas over there, yeah, they look reddish. To whom much is given, also a lot supplier. Your word is gonna stand, I gotta press through the fire. The economy is messed up, but I still got hired. If it fits your plan, one day I can hire. You are the reason I'm grateful.